You're listening to the ABC Music Talk podcast, a show for anyone interested in the music industry. This is the first of a two-part episode about the founder of Triple J Vinyl, a new UK-based second-hand record shop and now record club. If you missed the teaser episode, feel free to listen back to that to get an idea of what is to come, or just sit back and let Joel take you on a journey through his 20 years in the record industry. But before you go, don't forget to go rotate your videos. Rota is for artists, managers, labels, or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization. Rota makes it fast, easy, and inexpensive to do all of that in one place. Head to www.abcmusic.co and click the Rota logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service. So, talking to us today is the founder of Triple J Vinyl, Joel Diath. Welcome to the show. Hi, very nice to uh, see you again. Yeah, and also thank you so much for giving us a treated room to do this recording in. I can't tell you what that will mean to my listeners. They are thoroughly sick and tired of uh, poorly chosen locations to do this podcast Well, in. fortunately, the uh, shop is uh, above a recording and rehearsal studio, so plenty of uh, plenty of space yeah, to absolutely. record. Yeah, and we will uh, we will take a trip upstairs uh, later on to, uh, to to grab some video for the uh, for the promo video. So listeners, do go and check that out. Um, so normally on the show, what I ask people to do is to give me their their sort of their background, their origin story, if you like. But if it's okay, because I'm putting this into the current affairs category, um, because we're going to focus on your your most recent career move into opening a record shop, a second hand vinyl record shop, no less. I uh, wanted to t- talk about that. Because I think that your career is going to be the bigger part of the the interview, if that's okay. You did something similar to to kind of what I did. You started a business not long before the entire world decided to sort of decide to stay at home. And uh, so it was October 24th last year? That's correct, yeah. We'd been doing a few bits and pieces beforehand. But yeah, we had a little bit of a launch at the end of October where we officially said we opened. Yeah. And then six months later, you pretty much just had to shut the door. Yeah, we uh, shut the door to the uh, public. Yeah, yeah. That but continues in other ways. Well, and that's what we're obviously going to get to because um, that's the, the sort of key message about this particular episode, I guess. I opened a bar in Essex in December. so. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So you can imagine March 20th rolls around and it's... Well, I guess what was interesting to me was I, I, I look back on your uh, the Instagram account for, for Triple J. Uh, triple J Vinyl. Uh, triple J Vinyl, yep. JJJ, uh, Triple J. At JJJ Vinyl. Not Triple J Radio. No. A very famous it, Australian indeed. alternative radio indeed, station. Indeed, And I kind of felt like when I looked at the post that you that you had at that time, it it sort of, it, ref, it, it resonated with me because it felt like you were at the point of just one big shrug emoji. Like, just didn't, what do we do? Right. I mean, is that roughly well, like, is that how you felt? I, I remember because I I changed the uh, information on our the bio on all our accounts, and when it said opening times, I did put equals shrug emoji, <laughs> just nice. because I think it just represented I think how everyone was feeling, and I I think I didn't. It's such a challenge running a small business because you're not a big multinational or even just national big company with multiple locations where you perhaps adapt to each location you're a small one and i think small businesses much with ref- much more reflect the local community or just the little wider community that you serve and i wanted to 
I think everyone feels this way. And if we can sum it up in an emoji, it's a bit of a shrug. We don't know. Yeah. And I think and that little personal touch as well, I think, really resonates with your customers because I think they go, oh, yeah, they're just human. They don't know. We don't know. No one knows. And, yeah, it was a, an absolute time of confusion. And I, and I felt somewhat it has continued to be a time where you are over feel like you're overreacting or underreacting. And it's been a very difficult to find a balance in thinking, oh, I'm not worrying about this enough and I should worry too much or I'm worrying too much. Why aren't I relaxed more? And just finding that medium, I think, has been a real challenge. And I think it's why why it's led to us seeing a lot of extreme extremities in the news and people going to extremes because we live... I mean, we were living in extreme times beforehand, it felt. Uh, and this has just heightened that and quickened that. So you see racist people becoming more racist mm -hmm. you see kind people becoming kinder so it's just it there's just this uh quickening of um of uh emotion um and i think uh when we ran the business we just wanted to capture that and just go well, what's happening we don't know and we're just as sort of confused and a little scared as you are and how long did it take for you to kind of get past that initial i guess sort of shock i guess or, or confusion to to where you know the, the the initiative that you launched which was the 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 record club i mean was that a, was that already in your head i think it's worth sort of pointing out that your shop is not on a busy high street it is very much probably a fairly specialist outlet uh, for people but i mean did you always think that you might do something like that like a record club no it hadn't it hadn't occurred to me it, it it came when there was a suggestion and a set of circumstances and then I thought, let's just give it a go. I'm always up for trying ideas. And if they don't work, hey, it didn't work, but at least we gave it a go. And you're right, we're not on a high street, so we were not affected the way many other second-hand record shops or any other shop was affected. So because of the circumstances of where the shop is and because, you know, uh, we don't we aren't restricted by some other stores, we could quickly adapt, just like... Big companies find it difficult to adapt and smaller companies can so much quicker. Similarly, we were able to um, adapt quite quickly. And our online business was always strong. And also what was always strong was our socials and connecting with our buyers and making it feel like buying a record was up from us was more than just buying a second-hand record, but it was a bit of an experience. Now, that sounds like really awful marketing talk, but... I think it's true, you know, we've always said it, we are just temporary custodians for these sound vessels. We've taken it from one person, we will gloriously look at it for a little while and play for it and then we'll find it a new home. You know, we, we're, that's what we are. We temporarily take these records and we find new homes for them, people who want them more. Um, and that's an experience, you know, that record sometimes is more well-travelled than I am. It has been all around the world and cherished, hopefully, each time. So when the lockdown happened, I wanted to capture that spirit and capture that sense of discovery as well because people like going to record shops to discover and try and create something that, that was special for people and special for us and meant the shop could survive. Yeah, and so, I mean, it's obviously a business focused on your, your customers as much as anything else. And so you, you just mentioned the strong socials, because I, I was curious, because a business that's only been open six months-ish, how much of a database did you have? I mean, how, how much a kind of a, a relationship did you have with the, with, with the customers so that you could actually go, OK, well, 
it's now viable for us to offer this record record club. I mean, was it a, was it a very strong sort of email mailing database? We don't even have an email data. Right. Okay. I'm happy to admit that. Am I happy to admit that? No, I'm ashamed no, to admit no, that. <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit that. For me, I've I've I think numbers, just numbers alone, have dramatically changed the music industry and changed a lot of industries and fundamentally changed marketing and and i've been very cautious and wary of numbers what does it mean and i'm talking numbers from across the board from spotify to youtube to instagram to all these things what what do these numbers mean who are they i'm way 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 more focused on the genuine interaction with people as opposed to the amount of numbers we have because i could if i want just absolutely focus on trying to get more followers but that means nothing if I'm not actually interacting with the people who are following us. And I've, I have this like ongoing conversation with people within the music industry where I think there will come a time, I think within the next decade, perhaps a little sooner, where YouTube will do away with their numbers, Spotify will do with their, away with their numbers, because how will artists be able to compete when Drake is on 100 billion streams. There has been talk of that, I think. I think Instagram began to yeah, take away some likes. They did, yeah. Uh, the, 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 you know, the heart monitor. Um, heart monitor. That's <laughs> not the word I wanted to use. But the heart meter. That's even worse. Uh, so, uh, and I find that a, f- a fascinating thing, because once you take away the numbers... Don't get me wrong, I know numbers have always existed in the music industry, because it was, how many did you sell to get number one? How many... You know, there's, there's always been a sense of numbers, but what I've been very aware of is that how internet numbers uh, and streaming numbers and uh, they I think they sometimes give a quite false reflection on, on what you see that before you hear the song like a video you see the people before you hear the song and I think that is a it's, a it's an interesting new dynamic to the music industry and I think and I would be guilty of this myself when I was a manager and even in A&R how many numbers do they have? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd pick myself up and like, this is ridiculous. Is this a good song? My job working on a record label is to literally help them get new numbers. Why am I looking at the numbers before I've even, you know, hearing the song? So so that's a very long answer to say, you know, our social numbers are, um, I'm quite proud of them. But what I'm more proud of is our continual interaction with the people on Twitter, with the people um and the emails, we don't have an email database, but I am emailing people constantly about the packs. And if people message us to thank us for an order or something like that, always constantly contacting. So I want them to grow, obviously, but I want them to grow in a very, oh, I'm going to use the word organic. How awful. <laughs> but I want them to grow in a genuine way. There you go. I'm, like I'm happy with the yeah. word genuine. Genuine's great. But then James and I have always said when the when the vinyl club gets to a certain point, we will probably stop taking new people because we will not be able to give as much as we are currently if it gets too much. So that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. So can you explain the the process? Because it's not, to me, a bad analogy. I apologise for this in advance. To me, your your service, if you like, to your customers is something akin to the approach that Apple Music took when they onboarded a new customer into their system which was tell us what you like and then we will try and recommend you stuff that 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 is related to that just because people might have gone through that experience um 
if you're competing, if you're uh, not competing, sorry, if you're comparing Triple J Vinyl to one of the most successful businesses of the last three five years, I'll take it as a compliment. You're okay with that? Good. Well, I'd like to think they took the one hopes I've got a few more ethics than uh, <laughs> Apple and the. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, I'm sure. Well, undoubtedly you do. Um, it's not obviously algorithm based. It's that you're not using kind of big machines to big data and all the rest of it, like like th- those guys do it and Spotify and all the rest of them. But the service that you offer to kind of to that point of, I guess, scale, you were kind of questioning there, like at, at what point do we kind of max that out? I, mean, you could, I guess you could always add musicologists to your staff or something like that, right? Um, I think you're overestimating our, <laughs> our business. <laughs> well, you know, I'm always thinking nth degree stuff. But yeah, it, but it's it's such a personal thing, right? You know, you're, you're writing notes on, on records. You're having to every month, Every fortnight or month, yeah, every we have people month. who subscribe every fortnight. I don't think I've actually described what we do yet. Yeah, so. well, that's what I was trying okay. to tease out of you. So. I'll be happy to explain. Let's do it. So um, perhaps how it began would be a good way to start, actually, because when we went down into lockdown, we had a very good customer who bought, bought um, regularly from us and just simply said, I'm going to send you £100, send me some records. It just made me realise, ah, there may be something here. So I used them as an example, and so I put together a package of some very good records, sent them, and he messaged back to say how delighted he was, and he said, have you thought about doing this a bit more often, not just to me? So I explored the idea, and I knew if we were going to do it, it had to be done right. Now, there are some services that offer sync similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe there's one that um, you give them your login details for Spotify, and they'll send you some brand new sealed records i believe there's a service up in scotland well i know they exist because they contacted us saying can you send us 50 blues records and i I wish i had 50 blues records but so i think there's a similar one that does something similar to us but their website is so gorgeous and but it's all got all these buttons and it's all clicking and it's all this and i said if that's if that's the moe of these vinyl clubs ours is the half drunk warm can of white light in under the park bench on a Sunday afternoon with flies, that's that's what we are. It's a lot more. It's a it's it's a lot more rough and ready, but what we bring is passion, and and I was going to say empathy, but that sounds ridiculously uh, pompous. But just listening to people, what is it they like? You know, they say they like this, but are they just trying to be cool? What what is it we think they will really like? And someone says so much more when they say they don't like you too. They're not literally just saying, I don't like you too, the band. But I think there's so much that comes with that, you know. Like somebody says they're a fan of you too. You've got a good idea of what they're like. They say they're not a fan of something. So it's taking all those things. So, yes. So we started after that one-off experiment. I took a very long time to word a flyer and get the right picture and say to people, we will send you fortnightly, because it just started as fortnightly to begin with, Vinyl packages for five, ten, or twenty pound. If you just fill out a few questions, and I spent a very long time making sure the questions weren't too many, weren't too little. We just got what we needed, uh, and I, f- I felt we just got it just right because immediately we had around fifty signups, um, and then all of a sudden, the nature of our business flipped. Instead of we have stock, we need to find customers. It was we have customers, we need to find stock. And it was just absolutely fascinating for that 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 switch um changed the face of our business and now it continues to grow and we're now hovering a hovering around 80 90 
Oh, wow. The majority of them are monthly. Mm -hmm. um, still a lot of fortnighters. We've had people who now have received upwards of nine packages from us. And every fortnight I email them and there's no subscription. There's no sense of direct debit. This all is done on every time they drew a package five days before I email them say, look, what did we get right? What did we get wrong? If you want to leave this, you just say, we are not going to pressure you. You don't have to reply to this email. And if you want to leave, just ignore the PayPal request. And then I'll simply send a PayPal request. And then I'll just check who's paid on our PayPal. And then I'll put send a deliver package. And sometimes they update their, I fancy a bit of reggae this fortnight. I've had enough of Madonna. Can we have a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that? And a combination of our email correspondence and the original questionnaire they filled out, we'll put together a package of records. And often, it will really much depend on what's in the store. It will depend what kind of... Because, as you've seen upstairs, we're yeah. not the biggest store. But I feel we have enough... Love of music and understanding of music. And uh, enough stock. We have literally enough stock. And yeah, and, and enough, hopefully, intrigue. And sometimes I've called people. Hey, do you know what? I'm really struggling with your package this month. Help me. Help me. Just just give me some insights. And then the whole new experience, which is then them receiving their packages, them tweeting about them, and then the interaction. And some of the responses have been so heartening. People saying, this has been the highlight of the lockdown. Because... It's been horrible, but I know every fortnight I've got a new package of records, more often than not by artists I've never heard of, and I've now discovered some gems. And it's, yeah, it's been really, uh, it's been a real enjoyable, enlightening process. And one where now, as we're beginning to end the lockdown, I'm, I'm thinking, how can we evolve? What can we do? And it may mean that we, we, we just leave it. But this part of me also thinks, so how can we capitalise on this? Yeah. But there's another part of me goes, well, no, it worked for a moment just leave it be but then I'm always trying to find an angle and we'll see I, you've kind of answered a question that I, that I had in fact you, you have um, I was because I, I was curious about if, you, if you're working in say big tech one of the things that you'll be focused on is churn you know the worry about a customer trying something and then churning out of the business and it sounds like you're addressing that which is a highly risky business strategy you're making choices of what people are going to go on and listen to and you're charging them for that that could go wrong on a fairly regular basis, I guess, given the, the sort of limited information that you have about. But you've obviously decided that the part of the process isn't just to just push things out the door. It's to be very, very careful about that customer relationship and treat, treat it as a direct relationship in the same way as somebody might be in the shop and you're face to face having that conversation with what do you like? What do you not like? Hey, have you, do you want to listen to this? And it sounds like you've somehow managed to convert that into a sort of an online business, which is, I think, fascinating. But I think that's worked because we always worked very hard on the socials. So people had a sense of what our personalities were like, what our tastes were like, what we could, um, what we were about, although digitally. I think people knew, oh, I got sent a dud. I already have this. I hate this band. Mm -hmm. They could message and they know that they'd get a full refund but we've not had to refund anyone yet we've had some people leave mm -hmm. can't afford it this month sure. i didn't quite get that record i don't think this is for me mm -hmm. i sent someone you know a good copy of paul mccartney 2 which i think is a good record not mccartney's best and and he goes you're not to know this but i absolutely hate mccartney <laughs> i was like, okay he goes and i i think this is not right for me and i was like well of course 
yeah. we've we've had way more success and people coming back and back and back and i think the notes so it's the combination i think of the notes that we write for everyone this is why we chose this mm-hmm. i've never written so much in my life this is why we chose <laughs> this and i'll say if this ain't for you you just say yeah if this ain't for you and sometimes we'll send a the package will just be like this beautifully sought after seven inch single and then some you know less sought after album but mm. sometimes it'll be the album and then just some sort of it's just about okay, I think this person has some really good albums before let's let's find that 12 inch that they've perhaps been sought after and far too often we over we over package we over price the packages we, no no we underprice the packages as in we give too much value in the packages mm-hmm. but look it's times are tough yeah. yeah times are super tough and I'd rather someone get over excited about a record that was worth 25 pounds than a record that was twenty pound, and and you know, so we we always try and find little incentives about people. If we have a really good month in the things that we kind of get in that month, and the the, the records that we've bought, then I feel quite keen to uh, share that good fortune. Yeah, and so staying with that uh, inventory aspect of it, alluded to the fact that it's not the biggest shop in the world; it's a decent size, but I mean, it's a highly curated. Because I've I've been here before, I've had a look through. It's it's a highly curated selection of records. How how do you like? Do you do you, is that a struggle? Because they're they're secondhand records. You've got to get them from somewhere else, as you said at the very beginning. Is that easier these days because of discogs and eBay and, and other things like that? Or because I, I, last time I was here, you, you you told some stories about people turning up with their sort of car boot full of records, and you're kind of going, yeah, I don't think any of these are going to be for our customers. <laughs> we because we're quite limited with because we're quite limited with the uh, size. We have to be careful about what we stock. We don't have that facility to have thousands and thousands of one, two, three, four pound records. We just don't. So we made a decision quite early on that we will stock stuff that we feel that will excite people when they're here. And when they're here, they're likely to walk out with something. And also, I sometimes feel a bit intimidated when I walk into a shop and I just see racks and racks and racks and racks of records and thinking, oh, where do I even begin? Too much, yeah. Here, you'll come in and you'll find your section and you'll walk out with something, more likely than not. But we do have a two, three, four pound section, but they're not overwhelming. You'll likely find something that you really like. But we often uh, shift a lot of stuff in bulk. We never, we always list, we, we will sell on in other means. Because we would just rather the space be very uh, selective and people know they come here, they're not overwhelmed, they're going to walk out with something. I think that's important. I mean, we have we have created curated a a shop that is the sort of shop that we would want to visit, and that uh, I think that really really shows, and and so it should. But of course, this isn't just me who 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 does the club and does the shop. There's also James who who I started this with as well. Who um, who's one of the other Jays? Who's the, the other Jays and JJJ? Yeah. He um, so it's. Uh, yeah, we, we, we made those decisions, and they were important decisions. Um, what would we do if we had a bigger space? Perhaps we would, you know, have some more sections, but there's also just the the time it takes to get the records, grade the records, price the records, list them on Discogs. And look, I, uh, I'm i a big fan of Discogs. Big, big fan of Discogs. It has been a, a great way of us shifting a lot of records. But I it's always about other avenues and what we've always talked about is like how can we get our beautiful records to people how can we be you know be this temporary custodian mm-hmm. this sound vessel 
and we always talked about well it's the shop it's and it's online and then we were talking about markets and we had our first market due the week after lockdown so that got cancelled and and then then we created the additional market which is a difficult one and one that we've been able to maintain since but we we're, we're quite keen that once um once this once we're a little bit more comfortable with doing markets to explore that avenue again because that's another route to market mm. and obviously the more we're selling the more we can buy and the more we're buying the more opportunities we have for finding the big records that don't sell immediately but will sit there and will eventually sell for a, a good amount of money which is what we're after yeah absolutely if we don't nick them ourselves well I was, I was gonna say i mean is the shop really just a collection of records you didn't want yourself uh don't no there's a lot of records upstairs i do want right. um but you just there just comes a point where you kind of go how much do i really want this but yeah we've we both what's james and i have very different tastes which is really handy that is handy <laughs> so i'm i'm a lot more obscure i love my uh which i've more recently coined uh church burning metal so um, i grew up like a proper metal head long hair goth um and i love bands with spiky logos well, so actually this is this is my next question because yeah this this ability to choose records for other people and have that sort of encyclopedic knowledge of of, of music musical tastes and how things are connected artists sounds genres all the rest of it tell us about your your upbringing how, how did did you grow up in a house full of music yeah so my dad had a, an enormous vinyl collection um and i had two elder brothers who both had a love of music and a, a very also, they both had different tastes in music. So there was lots of music coming from different parts of the house. My dad was a huge fan of the Beatles, Buddy Holly, uh, Pink Floyd, a bit of Sabbath, loved Zeppelin. Uh, my oldest brother was a grunge kid, so Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots. My other brother introduced me to bands like Jellyfish, which one of my favourite bands in the world. Um, he played in the band as well. So there was all this sound in my house all this really fun, incredible sounds from every different room. And then I discovered my sound, which was extreme metal. I loved death metal, black metal, doom metal, every type of variant of metal, I loved it. And I, I become, it was my sound in a, in a house full of sounds. And it just happened to be the heaviest, the most extreme, the loudest and the fastest, which excited me greatly. But also what what I loved about that is more often than not, the bands were so small that if you wrote them a letter, they'd usually write back. And so I had this writing letters every week to all these bands, mostly in Norway and Sweden and Finland and Germany, and they'd send me tapes and we'd tape exchange. And, and it's a huge scene. It's um, it's a scene which has been somewhat... Well, I always kind of thought the internet and Vice magazine ruined that musical genre because it was so specialist. And then... Once the internet happens and you realise that they were usually just sort of spotty teenagers like yourself, you realise that, oh, they they weren't these sort of um, evil, incarnated, screaming monsters. They were, you know, probably at their parents' on a Sunday afternoon for, for lunch. And, and then Vice magazine would, would, would obsess over this subject. And, and anyway, but that's a, by the by. Um, so this led to a, an absolute passion of music but 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 not just my genre but the, the genres which were embraced in my house and that led to a career in the music industry which lasted 20 years although I still do a little bit now where I would just be interested in just I found myself to be a sponge and just wanted to absorb every type of music and I feel a big part of that was discovering 
the second-hand record shops in Soho. And it was the record shops that would buy the promos off the magazine reviewers or radio DJs. So on a weekends, the the journalist would kind of go into the shop and sell all their promos at 50p a piece, and they'd put them up for just £2. So I would just go in there and buy all these record CDs, promo CDs, just because of the way they looked or because of what label it was on. But I accumulated many, many, many thousands of CDs of all genres because there was no Spotify, obviously. There was no YouTube. This was the, 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 the 90s, so... I just very quickly accumulated quite an encyclopedic knowledge of music, which I then threw into my passion in the music industry and working in A&R and working in management and working as a marketing manager. Which which we'll get to. (laughs) And then it kind of... I've then found proper use for it, which is working in a record shop and working for this, this, this vinyl club and putting together people's packages. So I've got a good idea when someone says they like Queen or U2 got a good idea well if you like that you're probably going to like this other band and and there's there's no more thrill than getting a letter from someone or getting an email or a treat from someone did i say letter i didn't mean letter no one's written us a letter i apologize (laughs) get an email or a treat from someone saying did not know this band existed thank you for introducing me to me to them they're amazing but then equally i i i am floored when I hear a band for the first time and they they stir something inside that that were a completely new name to me, it just gets me excited. I feel like an explorer. I feel like a mm. a um, an archaeologist discovering something for the first time and then delving into the riches of their back catalogue and and then just that excitement, which I think is the A and R person in me, of wanting to share that with people. My God, I didn't know this band existed a while ago. What do you think? Do you, do you think that that's getting a little lost in a sort of modern way of consuming music? I, as somebody who works in the industry, I do feel like the shelf life, if you like, the digital shelf life of a, a new artist can be so incredibly short because of the pace with which new music is coming out. And are people so obsessed with it? it oh, that's been outrageous. I don't really care about this. You, I mean, you're talking about finding perhaps bands that have been around for decades. And as you say, going back into their back catalogues, for you, that's a that's a thrill. Do you think? Do you think that's getting lost in in the modern world of pace with which new music is released and discovered? And I think people spend too much time looking at this question in, in the wrong way. I think we are we 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 look at the um, we look at the question of why is this changed? How uh, can we get it back? And I know that's not what you said, but some people do. How can we make people care about this rather than this? Um, when I think it, it, it ultimately all comes down to the way people consume music. Yeah. What do they care about? What do people who consume music care about? Because all they care about is hearing something and it having an emotional connection, whether it be on their phone, whether it be a piece of vinyl, whether it be a CD or whether it be anything. I think that's what they that's what they care about. They want to get that experience. And the truth is now that the majority of new music listeners and the majority of people that discover new acts do so on digital devices, on their phone, through Spotify, through Instagram, through SoundCloud, through all these devices, which, as I mentioned earlier, are quite numbers heavy. So it's a very different dynamic and a very different it's a highly, highly different way of looking at what, how music was not just a decade ago, but 20 years ago and 30 years ago and 40 years ago and 50 years ago. 
all I can do because of my experiences and compare is to compare it to what it was like when I was listening to music and the the things that always really resonate with me are I was a as I said earlier a long-haired metal loving goth um so I bought when before I discovered these shops that would uh, sell promo CDs you know bands that I knew I would like or looked like that how I looked because that's what I knew I wasn't going to waste my money on saying I didn't know I only bought magazines by who covered these bands, so I was only going to buy the CDs and the music from these bands. So I wasn't going to waste my money on anything I didn't know. That's fundamentally changed now because of the internet, because I can listen to anything by any artist at any time. So that that's like a big plain level field. But what that has done subsequently is almost end tribes. So I I don't see as many say goths or grungers or indie kids. Everyone just seems to be a little more uh, the same. Mm-hmm what kind of music into it I like a bit of everything yeah now I don't hang around with a lot of kids I'm sure your listeners will be pleased to hear so <laughs> I I don't fully know but there, there seems to be a fundamental difference on in that tribe mentality which was very prevalent when I was growing up in the late 90s very prevalent so when you have that lack of loyalty to a certain type of music or that lack of I can't afford anything else. Why am I going to listen to anything else? I can only afford one gig to get a month. Why am I going to go see a band I can't afford? I'm going to go see the one I can. When all those things kind of change and you have more free gigs or YouTube. So, you know, when we were younger, you you only really ever got to see a band live or VHS tape. And now you can see every performance ever on, online. So it just makes everything a little bit more accessible. But what comes with that convenience is a lack of, I think, loyalty, a lack of brand, ide- brand identity. But it's an awful modern term, but more of a um, tribalism. And that poses a new challenge for artists trying to break, because artists could rely on those tribes to break. New band, get featured in the magazine, you know who your readers are, they like this thing, and then they can break through those ranks. And now all that kind of being somewhat level, it's very, very different, and it's very, very tough. So you see artists breaking through, not because of, say, their music, but because of the story. Right. Now that was always a case, you know, when I was a long haired metal head, I loved the band who were the most evilist, who had the most sort of, you know, who'd burnt down the most churches in Norway, all those sort of things. You know, so there was always that aspect, but it's just very, very different now. And and it's it's a real different dynamic. I feel I don't know if it's the old grumpy man in me talking, but I feel less emphasis on the music, less emphasis on the story, you know, the the vehicle of music to tell a story. I sound like an old folky there, but you know, and but I feel it's important. You know, I listen to some of the bands from the nineties. You know, I listen to Pearl Jam's Ten, and it's a masterful piece of work. Incredibly crafted songs with incredible dynamics, uh, produced wonderfully. Now, how much of that is nostalgia? Because I remember listening to it the first time as a kid, and how much of that is the truth? What is the truth when it comes to music? What is just an opinion? What is a uh, what is passion? So it's, it all those things mixed up really leads to I think a very challenging atmosphere for artists trying to break through because I find it difficult and I think this this fault lays more with me than anyone else. But I find it very difficult to see a new guitar-based band now and not feel their their aspect is nostalgia. Look at them trying to recreate what was around in the Britpop here. And that's very unfortunate for them. And I'm just trying to connect, you know, what would a person of my age felt like when they saw Pulp? Oh, they're just trying to be the kinks. Oh, they're just trying to recreate. So that I can't I can't really quite judge. 
but I can at least pose the question and see it as a thought experiment. But I feel very difficult, Very, it's a very challenging time for bands with guitars. I'm sure they're out there. Um, and I, the, the, what just comes to my mind immediately is that I listened to the new EP from a band called The Licorice Quartet yesterday, and I absolutely adore it. It's an absolutely brilliant piece of work. It's only four tracks. I listened to it for well, a good hour yesterday, just on repeat. And, um, and But what had that is it, it's got three ex-members of Jellyfish. Would I have felt the same about that if it wasn't three ex-members of Jellyfish? Now, that is a nostalgia trip in many ways because it reminded me of what I listened to as a kid. So they're not really even a new band. So is it really quite relevant? But they are a new band because they didn't release anything before. So you just like... And then you kind of think, well, why am I spending all this time listening to this band that is kind of a nostalgia trip for me where I should be listening to something new? Well, that's... Why why don't I listen to something new? That's that's quite hard work to listen to. In the past, it was having to pay with money, but now it's all about paying with your time. I find it very difficult to listen to anything new on Spotify because I am a mere three thumb clicks away from listening to Zeppelin 3. <laughs> and I love Led Zeppelin 3. <laughs> so how can any new artist compete with that? Mm-hmm. understand. Yeah. I don't think that entirely answered your question. No, it did. It's I wonderful. can't even remember what your question mm-hmm. was going on a oh, bit it, of a rant. It was, it was more to do with your, you know, your, your your interest in discovering new artists that are new to you as opposed to them just being new artists. Yeah, I think I, the, my, 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 my most recent thing is just discovering old new artists. Old, oh, old, old artists that are new to me, my apologies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and my little, uh, my little niche at the moment is discovering bands who just released one single. I, I love finding a band from the 50s or 60s that just had one seven-inch single. Yeah, amazing. Because I just, I just think of all the hopes and dreams and aspirations that they held for that moment and they finally convinced Decker to release a one single and they got it in their hands and they thought we're going to be the new Beatles and yeah. little did they know it came to nothing. I like to hold on to that hope. So I've got a little box of singles at home I just buy bands who have just released one single. Oh, that's truly wonderful. Yeah, I love That's them. truly wonderful. And do you... And so... Yeah, things like that. Do you, do you then think, oh, maybe I should go on to, as part of your kind of relationship with your customers, make perhaps playlists of for Spotify, which you might share on your socials, to say, guys, I've found all of this. You've just got to go and have a listen. Or is that purely a personal thing for yourself? I think, well, more often than not, these singles aren't on Spotify oh, because they're just one-off singles, so they, oh, they just exist in physical yeah. format. And sometimes, and it's a a joy they're not even listed on discogs mm-hmm. or they're not on youtube uh, and you just kind of think you really are like this only exists you know there. and sometimes it's just a promo seven inch so you're thinking possibly only a hundred of these exist right it's not even right, on discogs right, right. no one wants it but i want it maybe, yeah, <laughs> it's maybe, a beautiful thing maybe it never got released yeah very likely yeah but yes yeah, spotify playlists i see artists make them i don't know who listens to them I I just I don't know who listens to them. So that band I kind of like has put together a bunch of songs that I probably don't like. Who's going to listen to that? I think what works with us is physical products, photos of physical product, photos of physical products on our socials and sending them to people. That works. But then trying to get them to trying to convert that into digital format, I think it just it, it takes away the magic. Got it. So very much a metal fan. Did you just coin something? Church burning metal. Church burning metal. Church burning metal. And is that for you a kind of catch-all of a few different sort of official genres, if you like, or subgenres? Perhaps you're not aware of the uh, the subgenre of black metal, which was based in Scandinavia, where they literally did burn churches. Oh, there's no, a bunch of murders, a bunch aware. of suicides. Oh my God, there's a, a vice. If you if you 
uh, goodness me, this is a whole podcast in itself, if you've not heard of it. But yeah, it's a very early 90s dominant form of very fast, very heavy metal music coined by um, a few key artists who some murdered each other. Then there was a lot of church burning. You can usually recognise them because their names are indescribable, unreadable because it's all spiky. Uh. And yeah, you can find documentaries on YouTube about it. Okay. And it's a an a absolutely engrossing, fascinating, in-depth subject. And the music is pretty unlistenable. I mean, it's so raw and gnarly. Gnarly is the word that always I describe because it's gnarly. It's uh-huh. angry. Yeah. It's vitriolic. But when you're a teenager and you're angry and someone is screaming, someone is... is, is Someone is not just being able to say in words how you feel, but they are able to to put it into music how you feel, how your inside of your head feels, how your mind feels, how your body feels, and they are, it's it resonated so well with me. Mm-hmm. It was an extremely angry teenager, and a lot of people went into punk or hardcore, but I just found this little subgenre of metalheads in in Scandinavia, and a few bands in the UK. Cradle of Filth would be the biggest band in the UK who would be part of that subgenre, but they were quite soft. <laughs> That, that, you know, it was it was very appealing, but there was some incredible musicianship that came from it. Once they'd stopped being angry teenagers and just sort of killing their instruments, there there were some incredible musicians who come from it. One called Ishan, who was the lead singer and guitarist and songwriter in a band called Emperor, who has made some incredible music. Garm, who was the lead singer in a band called Oliver, has made some incredible music. What thrived, that scene thrived on was the secrecy. No one really knew who else other people were, and it was all about tape trading and letter writing, and then when the internet happened, it all become quiet. You know, what it become exposed in the light, and it all it lost a lot of its appeal. Mm-hmm. There's a little snapshot of church burning metal, but if you were to Google on YouTube black metal documentary, you'll, you'll, you'll be fascinated. That sounds like homework, which I will do. I read uh, an interview that you did when you were at Sony at the in your capacity as MD of um, was a label that which, which we'll talk about in a second. But your Elvis is very much the king for you. Oh, he's, look, he well, God, he's the... I, you know. I just wanted to juxtapose church burning metal with Elvis. Well, there'd be no church burning metal without Elvis. Okay. There'd be none of that. Discuss. Well, I mean, he's the he's the man that just managed to, or was it him or was it Colonel Parker? Um, you just managed to bring all those, what was predominantly a, 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 a black music, a black culture, make it very white and Americanized, and sell it to the world, which, you know, started um, started so much. And when you listen to those early recordings... You can hear this incredible naivety, but explosiveness, and you, you, the music just explodes. And I say naivety because I can hear this naivety in Elvis's voice because he had no idea what was to become of him and his legacy, and he had no idea how incredibly sexy he was. And you can hear the recordings where it was likely a few mics in a room, perfectly positioned to capture this spark. And I have since, you know. Little Richard, the Little Richard autobiography is 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 quite something. And others of the time, a big fan of Buddy Holly. But there was a saying about Elvis that just kind of encapsulated all that. And he lived the life, you know. He lived the life. He he did the Vegas thing. He died a taking a dump. I mean, it's like 
That's it. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. What? <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't laugh at that. That's the way you said it. Well, I, 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 I didn't know if I could swear on your podcast, but... Well, I'll turn the explicit flag on. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but no, just like... He was an embodiment of someone who had an incredible amount of psychological issues. Mm-hmm. But he found music to be his vehicle as a way of surviving. Now, he was surrounded by people who exploited him, Colonel Parker, probably the label, who uh, thought, oh, he's, you know, he's a commodity. Mm-hmm. But when you read into his life and read into some of the really difficulty he's, he had just living a day-to-day life, there's an incredible biography, and I forget the um, Wilson, I forget the name of the uh, author, and it's an incredible, incredibly difficult life, very challenged, but... What is the music industry then a celebration of people who have psychological problems? They don't get into music because they're healthy individuals. More often than not, they get into music because music is their escape. And Elvis was the embodiment of that for for, for many, and in some ways for me. But it's just, you know, it was an explosive life captured in audio form, and and you listen to those early recordings, and they're just they're spine tingling exciting. Let's pause the interview there. We've heard a lot of how Joel got into the industry, about the shop, and definitely got a feel for who he is. The next episode goes into his career. Hear about some of his experiences and where he is now as an individual. To my listeners, thank you for listening. Stay in touch with the show via my socials, at Alex Branson on both Twitter and Instagram. Also, a shout-out to the incredible audio assassins who have provided the music branding for the show. Link in the notes.